0: Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to introduce Matt Pace, a fire captain for the San Jose Fire Department. Over the years, Matt's been putting a lot of effort into providing safety training for the fire service. He's also very active with safety codes and standards that apply to rooftop solar power systems. So welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Barry.
0: All right, great. It's great to have you here. And um, boy, these uh, these uh, safety issues with solar are really becoming front and center. Tell us a little bit about the solar safety work you've been doing over the years with the San Jose Fire Department.
1: Well, the background on it began just out of wanting to provide some education for our own members in our department. I was not in the training division at that time, had just put a system on my own house, got a, a background in solar, and had noticed that, you know, some things had changed with the introduction of grid-tied inverters. So with our fire department, uh, I created a small training program for our department. But it became clear, as I heard from other departments through writing some articles for both fire service and for the solar industry, that other fire departments were starting to encounter PV systems. And it was what the firefighters were doing that was really causing some concern. And so we started sharing our training program with other departments. Then I started actually delivering um, instructor-led training for them, more in-depth training, working with departments on creating some operating procedures. And uh, it became real clear that the fire service was really not aware of this. It had really, in a sense, gone underneath their radar. And uh, so that's that's kind of the origin of how I became, uh, you know, an instructor for the fire service.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, solar power should be safe. It's clean, renewable. It's it's elegant. There's nothing burning. You know, there's no combustion. It's better than burning oil or gas. But what are the dangers that, that firefighters could encounter when they're dealing with rooftop solar?
1: So there's really three hazards. Um, One is uh, electrical shock potential. Um, Tripping and slipping up on the roof, which is always a hazard, but it's just one more thing that they need to be aware of. And then um, there is some what we call dead load issues, additional weight on a roof. And while rooftops are engineered and designed for this lighter load, it's not a very heavy load, but when there's fire exposed to the roof structure itself – any additional load is an issue. So they need to be aware that there is an additional load on the roof. And that's those are primary hazards. And we're mostly talking about residential, but does this also apply to commercial solar installations? It does. It does. Yeah, I teach firefighters that the PV systems are the same, whether it's on a small structure or a large structure. Um, the challenges for firefighters on the commercial structures are shutting down the utility power in the commercial structures can be more challenging.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So um, when I, I
0: was involved with Calsea. This was six or seven years ago, and, and this issue started coming up. And we were we as a, the solar industry were very puzzled as to where these problems were coming up. And that's because we really didn't understand what was involved during a fire when firefighters are, are basically trying to extinguish that fire, get the smoke out, et cetera. And, and it's kind of interesting because I have a, a, a friend, former employee, who is working for a big solar company right now, and he just had a fire in his house in, in Campbell. The, the firefighters did a really good job of, of venting that roof. And if there was solar on it, maybe installed in the wrong way, it would have been more challenging. So it'd be good if you could just explain how uh, firefighters would put out a fire on a residential house if there's solar on
1: the roof. That's a great question, and a great place to start too, because a lot of people don't understand what we do. And so <clears throat> on a typical fire, all the heat and smoke and the hottest gases, toxic gases, are going to be at the top of the structure. So part of the coordinated effort that the fire department needs to complete is getting water on the fire while at the same time evacuating that smoke and the gases. It eliminates what the potential for what we call a flashover. And so when firefighters started going up on top of roofs and seeing that large areas of the roof was now covered with solar – they weren't quite sure what to do. Can they just yank off the solar modules and put the hole there? And that's what started this concern is that you'd be reading on firefighter blogs and in instructional classes, just remove them, just yank them off, cut through them. And so as you know, that's not a great thing to do. So so that's the the issues that we do need to ventilate the roof occasionally. It depends on the type of fire, the type of roof. There are roofs that we should not be cutting on. But nevertheless, that's the basic um, concern is how can we still cut holes in the roofs to get the smoking fire out.
0: And and so, what are some of the recommendations that the uh, the firefighters, the Cal Fire Department, have put in place, mostly for residential, because that's what a lot of our, our listeners are concerned about. But what what are some of the recommendations and new requirements for solar in California? And I'd like to get your insight into how that may extend throughout other parts of the country.
1: Sure. Let me just begin by kind of separating the issues into two different categories. One is an access issue. The other one is an electrical safety issue. Okay. So the access issue has brought to, to the codes a requirement that allows firefighters to get up onto a roof and quickly off of a roof. And what has made its way into the fire codes are what we call setbacks or pathways and it began here in California, which is a lot of, you know, uh, newer technologies begin in California. And also the codes and standards get driven through, through California. So with the California State Fire Marshal's Office, a group of stakeholders was convened um, probably about five years ago now, six years ago, to address this and to come up with some setbacks. Those were put into just what's called guidelines. And now they're in uh, the two national fire codes that are followed by every state in the country. And so those setbacks require a certain amount of room around an array for firefighters to get on a roof, cut a hole if they needed to, and to be able to get off the roof. So that's the, the access issue. The other issue is the electrical safety issue. And that is not addressed in fire codes as much as the um, electrical code, National Electrical Code. And so there's a lot of work being done on essentially creating a system that cannot ever shock anybody or start a fire. And so there, that's being done through cumulative um, work on the code. So in a sense, the, each cycle of National Electrical Code will be moving closer and closer towards a safer and safer product.
0: Yeah, and, and the way in which those, just as an installer doing these projects for a long time, uh, the problem is when you have a, a high-voltage DC system. Let's say you have 10 solar panels all in a row. They're all wired in series. Each of them has, say, 40 volts. you got 400 volts there. And if any of those wires touch or arc, whether the power's on in the house or not, whether the disconnect is on or not, you're going to get voltage whenever there's light hitting those panels. So initially what we started doing is saying, okay, all that all that wiring has to be in conduit. It has to be carefully labeled. But that's not going to help during a fire. The The next step, and, and really what what We saw it at my company back five years ago or so as the best solution was for residential— we no longer use that kind of design. We use uh, micro inverters, which is always going to be pretty much low voltage, and you're, you're going to have at most 30 or 40 volts on every panel. And then those inverters are only going to be on when the power to the house is on. And I guess the first thing to do with firefighters when they get to a, a fire is kill the power, so everything's dead. So that's a good solution. But there's still a lot of companies and, and systems out there that use high voltage DC inverters, string inverters, and so they're coming out with arc fault protection circuitry. And I guess that's that's the next wave to standardize on that is is that uh, how do the firefighters know if the system has that kind of, that kind of safety provisions
1: another great question and something that the industry is very eager to try and answer and one thing that the industry needs to understand is that the fire service in the US is comprised of 1.2 million firefighters 80% of which are volunteer fire departments so here on the west coast where it's primarily larger metropolitan career departments that that can devote lots of time to training the majority of the fire service um, has another job full-time. And, you know, God bless them, they're doing a second job protecting all their neighbors. So it's very difficult to provide that level of training. So whether or not you can come up with a label that can tell them this is a safer system is really, in a sense, a little bit of a holy grail because you can't just say when you shut off the main electrical power that there's less than 40 volts or 80 volts because a firefighter might look at that and say, hmm, 40 volts, 120 really hurts like heck. 40 is still going to hurt. So there's there's some education that just is not going to happen at that level. So the truth is they, they probably won't know if one's safer than the other. But the reality is nobody will get hurt. Or fires won't start.
0: Right, right, and and the labels are always going to be challenging because you know the, the, it's it's chaotic, it's dark, it's smoky. There's a lot, a lot of noise, and the last thing that the firefighters want to be doing is reading this tiny little label saying, "All right, you know, flip this switch, do this, do that." So they really want to just get up there and, and vent the roof and hope they can do it safely.
1: Right, and that's that's the job of the codes and standards community is to produce standard tests and products that are safe that nobody the general consumer doesn't need to worry if this electrical appliance is going to be a hazard for them. Right.
0: Eventually, everything will be safe. It's just going to take a while, yeah. right? You know, they, they don't make toasters anymore that aren't grounded. Everything's got you know, some safety provisions. So in 10 years, every solar system that's going to be installed is pretty much going to be safe from that kind of hazard. Well, help put it in perspective. How often do fires occur with rooftop solar? Well, let's break it down into two, two categories. How often have you encountered or are you aware of fires that happen on a house with solar? And then the next step is, have you ever seen anything that was caused
1: by the rooftop solar? So the data is, is somewhat difficult to come by. Um, the industry is very concerned about their own reputation, reputation of um, solar as an industry as a whole. So their willingness to share failure data um, is often very proprietary. But what we do get is information that's shared in the media, and it's often investigated very thoroughly. I can say, though, that it's a very small number. We go to far more kitchen fires than we're going to go to PV fires, and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I always start out by setting that kind of perspective. This is a very small number. But it also depends on how much solar is in your community. There are areas that have an incredibly small amount of solar, so the chances of a fire occurring on a building with solar is very minute. You go to the island of Oahu, and it's up by an order of magnitude. As a kind of a perspective, whenever I teach a class, I always ask the firefighters by a show of hands, who has solar on your own house? And over the last year or so, I've been seeing a couple hands going up in the class, whereas a few years ago, none of them would raise their hands. Well, when I taught um, on Oahu... I taught for the Honolulu Fire Department. Um, I taught the entire fire department, 1,000 firefighters. And in every class, I'd ask that question, and I'd have between three and 10 hands go up in every single class. So that's because their electricity is so expensive out there. It mm-hmm. just financially makes sense. So for them, they have encountered it more. Uh, and that's just PV being in the wrong place on a, on a fire, not the cause It's of bad it. luck. Bad luck. Now, your answer, your question about how many times it's caused a fire, there have been probably two dozen um, reported cases of PV systems causing a fire on a structure in the U.S. Um, now that's very unscientific data that's just collected through the media. There's probably far more that either was caught very early, didn't res- result in a fire department response, or um, you know we just didn't didn't hear about. But that's that's about you know two dozen. So that's a, again a very small number. But as we saw in New Jersey on Labor Day. Sometimes it can be a very large lost fire. Now, the, that's... What was, what was in New Jersey on Labor Day? So, in New Jersey was the Dietz and Watson warehouse fire. Now, oh, okay. now let me just take a step back and say that, that is still under investigation, all mm-hmm. right? And because of the damage, the entire warehouse was lost. It's very possible to not be able to identify a cause. But the PV system uh, was a very large portion of that roof, 7,000 modules on that roof. And um, whether it caused the fire or not, it's hard to tell. But... Uh, um, you know, we'll let the investigation take its time to come out.
0: And there was also um, one of the ones I remember reading about maybe four or five years ago was a fire on the Target building in Bakersfield, and that one was attributed to short circuits in wiring that was uh, coming from the PV array. You know, as, as far as my experience, and I've always been kind of keeping an eye on these anecdotal things, I've never, I'm not aware of any residential fires that were caused by PV systems that were professionally installed. And, and I'm aware of some that, you know, somebody put something in that wasn't permitted or it was an off-grid system or something like that and they didn't do it properly or it was a, a homemade panel. Um, and, you know, those things have, have happened once in a while.
1: Well, I hate to disappoint, but no, there have been. So. Okay. Uh, but here's the thing about PV fires. Again, not a scientific number, all right, but a very large percentage of those are installation-related. There are some that have been manufacturing defects in the modules, and some of those manufacturers are no longer in business. But usually it is a wire management issue, someone accidentally cutting the insulation on a wire during installation. And that happens throughout the electrical industry. Yeah, It's just that PV is a very different creature, and it's not necessarily going to trip a breaker when it arcs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah,
0: we did have um, one that I recall at, at, at my old company that that happened on a house in Connecticut. And you know we're always really careful to do everything right. And the, the circumstances that happened here is that a squirrel built a nest underneath the panel. Mm-hmm. Everything was wired up, zip tied. We've got pictures, it was done right. But this squirrel built a nest under there. And, and you know, one day, must have been the daytime because it would have been voltage. One day the squirrel decided to gnaw on a couple of the wires and bit through two of the high voltage wires. And uh, that was the end of the squirrel. Went up in a puff of smoke, caught the nest on fire underneath the, the panel. The nest started burning. And everything was done properly to code. The fire self-extinguished. The the module on top broke, blew through. The fire vented through the top of the module. And the customer sent us a picture said, hey, it looks like a meteor hit our roof. What's going on here? And that's when we figured out it was a, a squirrel damage. And you, you look back and you say, the only thing that we could have done differently would have been to to have some kind of arc fault protection on that system. And when this thing was installed seven or eight years ago, those that technology didn't exist. Now... You know, I'm very comfortable because we're only using micro-inverters. and it's you know, if a squirrel or a rat or anything ate completely through those
1: wires, you still wouldn't get a fire because that breaker would kick. Correct. Yes. You know, the wire management is one of those sub areas on the electrical safety side that is an issue, and you know, I've been kind of banging the drum for years to the industry uh, about wire management, and you brought up one of the one of the issues of it, and that's wire ties. You know, wire ties have no place on uh, holding up high voltage wire. You know, I think if a homeowner were to go up in their attic and to see that Romex wire being held to the 2 by 4s with zip ties, they say, this doesn't look right. Well, now we're putting them outside in the elements, holding up wiring that could potentially carrying four to five times that that's going through a Romex. So I think in that perspective, people say, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But again, if we could get to a system that is at a lower voltage and protected by arc fault, ground fault. That it really does its job, then that's a much safer product. Yeah,
0: it's 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 interesting and it's very encouraging how the PV industry is developing new products, new technologies that are going to make it easier. the The reason why people use wire ties is they're inexpensive. They use the black UV protected ones. They're 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 code compliant, but in bright sun they won't last. Although under an array, even after ten years, when I go back and look at systems, they're okay. But if they're in the sun, they're gonna crumble. The stainless steel clips and everything else—they're—they're they're like ten times more money. So the installers are like, that, "That's gonna cost a lot of money," and, and they're not sometimes not as tight as the wire ties.
1: Well, I, I I can show you systems here in San Jose where the wire ties are out of the sun and are breaking off, and it's right around ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, even though they're not in the sun, uh, they're not designed to be used. For that so. yeah
0: that's good that's, that's good feedback and there are products out that have integrated wiring and integrated grounding and that's that's the future Absolutely. kind of you're making it foolproof you're, yep. you're taking away a potential failure point and building it into the product so from a, a codes and standards standpoint what are some of the um, important requirements that installers have to follow you mentioned the fire protection code you mentioned that the national electric code or nec what are some of the other codes that are out there that are that are coming down the line
1: well, those are the two code bodies that address PV. So the access pathways, um, the, the setback where the, the PV array sits on a roof, that, that's very important. But the electrical side, it's only the National Electric Code. There's no other codes that address PV.
0: Okay. What about um, the UL-1703 and then the new UL-2703 that are requirements for PV modules and then the next for PV modules with racking?
1: Okay. So those are standards. And so those standards have to keep up with new technology. Generally, that's the challenge say a entrepreneur such as yourself comes out with a cool new product that you want to slap on the back of a module that's going to make more power, be safer, I I can't make any comment about that until it has been tested and listed by UL. It essentially doesn't exist. And so it needs to meet these standards. Well, sometimes the standards need to now address these new technologies, and that is really the the key right now is that 1741 really needs to step it up and evaluate all these new module-level electronics. So they're, they're, they're trying to keep up with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's always been a challenge as, as we develop you know, new integrated modules and, and, and plug-and-play modules that the standards didn't anticipate those when they were created. So we're saying we're putting an inverter on the back, and then we had to kind of have this thing listed in two ways. And now there's a new standard, the 2703, which is a com- combination of modules and racking, mm-hmm. and they need to be... Kind of considered together and it 's very hard for a racking company to, to 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 test their racking on thousands of different modules and it 's difficult for a module company that that may be based overseas that has to test their modules on racking that may be built you know anywhere around the world locally so it's it 's definitely a challenge and and I think the industry is going to start consolidating a little bit more as these things um, become easier to manage and companies kind of get, get a handle on it. But it's it's a little bit like quicksand when you're developing new products to try and figure out, all right, here's a product. It's got all these benefits. It's safe. Let's get it tested. And then the testing uh, agencies just scratch their head and they say, well, we don't know how to test it. This is kind of new.
1: Yeah. It, no, it's a, it's a very challenging environment. I
0: agree. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of those products, what are some of the new product directions that you're seeing that could enhance rooftop solar safety, both from a fire perspective
1: and a homeowner perspective? So <clears throat> one of the directions for rooftop solar, and the reason the focus is on rooftop is that you have an exposure issue that could or could not be a structure where people live in, but people potentially work there. Ground mount is a different issue. So for rooftop solar, the direction that the fire service is, um, is looking to, to move towards is being able to shut down the power at a, at a lower voltage level Right now, when a firefighter goes to a building and shuts off the main electrical power, there could still be up to 600 or soon up to 1,000 volts present within the whole array on the roof. And uh, what we want to be able to do is get it shut down to um, ideally a what's called touch safe, 30 volts. It'll probably incrementally move that way in the codes. But the term that I use for that is module level control. And what that means is when we shut off the main electrical service, each module shut off independently, so you have only the the voltage for that one module, and that's generally around 40 volts right now.
0: Right, and you can do that with microinverters. Can you do that with DC
1: to DC converters yet? Yeah. So the products that can provide that, and again, this is not necessarily um, this is not in the standard, so you can't say that they're listed to do that. But products that provide module level control are market microinverters, DC to DC optimizers, and AC modules, which mm-hmm. is essentially a microinverter built into the right. The module itself. Hmm. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, what, w- we talked a lot about solar. What about other kinds of new technologies like you know, battery backup systems or wind turbines or, or even EVs? How does that fit in with the work that you're doing?
1: So my focus really is electrical safety for the fire service. Um, our last line of duty death in the Santa Clara County was an electrocution of a fire captain. And so that was really the um, kind of bellwether event for me to get involved in this. And I, you know, I went to school and studied solar technology 30 years ago. And so this has always been an interest of mine. I have taught electrical vehicle safety for the NFPA. Uh, they developed a, a course on EV and hybrid safety for the fire service. And so I was one of the instructors that delivered, delivered that training around the U S and that has its own unique hazards, but the, the battery issue is a very interesting one. There is a, uh, there's going to be a huge shift um, in the utility industry towards st- energy storage. And there's going to be a lot of uh, from residential to community-based energy storage to utility energy storage that we're going to start to see. And so the fire service will need to address that to come up with codes and standards so that these companies can permit their energy storage. And I, get, I think for the listeners, an easy way to think about that is if you think about a data center that's you know handling all these servers from Google. They don't want those to shut down, and we have data centers all over the Bay Area here. And so, for the fire service, they need to know that you can't go and just flip the switch and shut that building down because then the generator is going to kick on. And if you manage to shut down the generator, then the big bank of batteries is going to keep it going. So it's redundant battery storage. And so we just there's some things we can't shut off. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's interesting. So just just to wrap up, what's the what are the one or two things that homeowners should be concerned about most when it comes to safety of a rooftop solar array?
1: Well, I think the foremost is having it installed by a re- reputable, professional firm. And that that's one thing for, for homeowners to, to do, is to really make sure this company um, has a track record. And then the other one is to make sure that the system really uses all parts that are listed by UL that is installed to code and inspected. Not a do-it-yourself job.
0: Great. Terrific, Matt. Thanks for joining us today on the show. That's all the time we've got. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.